0: A uh, series. I guess you'd call it a series, but it's not like a series. Um, I believe, and I, and I spoke about this last week, but maybe not everybody was here, so I'm going to kind of talk about it just a little bit to kind of recap. Is that the Lord spoke to me a couple of weeks ago and was like, hey, you know, you've been focusing on this thing and working in this, and that's really good, but I want you to now start to introduce something else because the kingdom that I'm building here needs this part. And he talked about that all are supposed to prophesy and all are called to prophesy. And that when you do prophesy and an unbeliever comes into your midst and you reveal the treasures of his heart, he falls on his face and says, surely God is in this place. And, and Paul says, I wish that you all, all spoke in tongues, but even more than that, that you would prophesy because you edify the body and the church, and you exhort them. And so we're just kind of been stepping into, okay, if we're all supposed to prophesy, I'm not, now the difference is, and we'll probably talk about this eventually, is there's the office of the prophet, and they are extremely important. The fivefold ministry is what God calls the church to function in, but the office of prophet and the gifting of the prophet are different in what uh, kind of tonight I might be focusing a little bit on the gifting more because we're all supposed to function in it and and it's not like ooh some ooh scary thing and ah, but it's just hearing what God says and speaking those things out and I liked what Ryan said a couple weeks ago after Allison came and, and she kind of talked to us about how and she gets a word in and, and prophecy and they do a lot of that stuff she, she had us practice it we lined up here, and we had our eyes closed, and we just said, Lord, give me a word, and whatever that was, the person tapped your shoulder, you turned around, and that was the person that got it, so there you go, and it was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it, and when I was talking to Ryan afterwards, he said, I said, how was that? And He was, oh, man, it was pretty good. I, I really liked that, and I don't know what all else he said, but what stood out to me is he said, I just... I like how it's not dependent on me. And he was like, now, the way she made it sound was, oh, well, I just listen to God and God, just, God gives me the thing and that's good. He's like, if it was dependent on me, I would never do it. And I was like, that's really good because that's so true. Is that I think, I think a lot of people have either been burned by the prophetic Or just think it's weird because a lot of times the weird people are the ones that have done it the most. You know? And I think there's a certain, I don't know why the weird people have to do it. But there's probably something inside them that likes that and they get something from that. And so maybe the people that have gotten burned by that because they think it's a weird thing or they, whatever. But in reality, it's supposed to be the most common thing that we do. It is supposed to be our lifestyle. It is supposed to be the, we function. Because you live by the word. It's because he's speaking that we're alive. And it's supposed to be our normal lifestyle of every single day is what is God saying and what is my response to that? What am I saying because what is he is saying? And so it's supposed to be incredibly normal, right? People maybe say prophecy or the prophetic and you're like, what? But I... And if it helps you to change the words, then change the word to just listening to what God's saying and saying what he's saying. I don't know, you know what I mean? If you're going to get caught up on the words, let's change that. But so I'm really excited for where God's going. I believe that He wants to create a prophetic community and a culture. And I talked about last week of why we need to seek these things. One, Paul says, you guys need to earnestly, passionately pursue spiritual gifts. He's saying, you need this. You need to earnestly pursue this. It's not a side thought. It's not if you feel like it. If It's not if you're weird enough for it. It's if you're the body of Christ. You need to be seeking out the gifts that I have for you. Because they're not, they're not rewards because you're such good Christians. They're just gifts. Right? It's not when you're finally a good enough Christian can you have the gifts of God. It's because you are one. And he's saying you should earnestly seek them. You should passionately pursue them. And if we're not passionately pursuing something that God told us to, I think we're seriously missing out. And so we're supposed to seek after those things and go after them. And then I talked about how in... uh, I have to go back. My other notes, to in um Second Chronicles twenty twenty, and it's talking about Jehoshaphat, and they're going out in the wilderness, and God's, and it, and this is what he says: "Hear me, O Judah, this is Jehoshaphat, and you inhabitants of Bel- in Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets." And you shall prosper. This is in the Old Testament, and what he's saying is, guys, if you want a foundation, you gotta you gotta believe what God says. But if you want to grow, you've gotta listen to the prophets, because God has put a special grace on the prophets, because they 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 act as a voice piece of what He's saying and doing. And, and that's where the office of a prophet, I think, is really good. But, and so, if we want to prosper, we've got to say, God, where are your prophets? We need this, and we need to step in, even if you don't think you're a prophet, to what he is saying. So, I kind of last week laid foundation, and it was about paving the way for God's voice. It was about clearing our lives of of. Of the stuff that gets in the way, and saying, "I want yes, I want to go after his voice," and it's paving that way and opening way. And then I broke down uh, kind of the different ways that we discern his voice. And some people uh, kind of hold to one kind or another. And actually, I feel it's important that I go over that list. Just is that, and I think this is so important, so that we as believers can understand like where other people are coming from. And we can actually, so that that way we don't maybe shut others down, but that we actually learn to focus in on these things and understand they're normal. Is it? And often all of us will um, function in all of these ways, but a lot of times I know for me and other people, you know, you kind of, you kind of whatever works for you best is kind of what you stick to. And there's usually four discernment types, and it's the knower, the intuitive knower, is that. Um, It's like, or knowing, or some people, um, when you hear them describe it, they say, I'm sensing this thing. They'll sense, or they'll just know they're supposed to do something. You're just like, I have no feelings. I have no word. I have nothing. I just know I have to do this thing. And it's just this intuitive knowing or this sensing that you have. And And that's God's voice. And that's God and the Holy Spirit actually guiding you into what you're supposed to do. Now, I've had that sometimes, and every once in a while I just have that, but I don't function in it a lot. And then the other one is the hearer, and that's where, um, that's the most general, maybe you think about hearing God, is likely to hear specific things, maybe a verse or a phrase that comes to mind. It's kind of the classic play-by-play. And and I would say I, I function in that a lot, that's just kind of the way, like I either brings a Bible verse, or he just speaks to me, like. It sounds like my own thoughts but it's you know him speaking and that's the way God speaks to many different people and then uh, there's the seer, the visionary I am not this person <laughs> but it's where they, they like they're all they're getting images and they get pictures and they and like in their imagination they see these things and it's inspired by God and it's awesome and every once in a while I'll have that where I'm like I get this picture, I get this image and that's what I see and and a lot of times it's maybe a big picture of something, and so they're, it's hard for them to like really narrow down what it's saying. They just see this; they have the image of what's happening. And then the last is the feeler. Is uh, they're often given an emotion by God, usually so they can partner with God to intercede for people or family members or situations. And it's where, it's and and you, when you talk to these people, they're just like, man, this is what I'm feeling towards this person, and it's like love. It's like love or joy over a person's life or, or this thing. And a lot of times that is actually the way that they are guided to pray for that person or the situation is that you're, God's going to say, I want you to feel what I feel towards this person. And that's actually Him expressing Himself. And so, and they function in that way. And, and all of these people, I think, can, they're all equally valuable. And like I said last week, they all have their own problems, right? They hear. It could just be your imagination. You just heard the wrong thing. The knower, you could have just eaten some weird pizza the night before. The feeler, your emotions could just be off. You know, the visionary, again, you're just like, okay, where'd you come up with that? You just want that. You know, we all have these issues. But, and I believe that Satan is on a a march to keep us deaf. So no matter how you hear God or in the ways, Satan wants to shut the voice of God up. And he is trying to keep us deaf. If he wants to wound us in that way so that we can't hear him through the emotions or the feelings or their knowings or these things, he's going to do that. If he wants to just burn us some way, if he wants to just, he's trying to keep us deaf. It's not like, well, I don't really function in that way. Well, maybe you should not listen to the devil here because all he wants for you is to shut up the voice of God. So he's on a march to keep us deaf. And so this week, I said, God, what do you want for this week? What do you, what do you have? What is, your, what is it that you're saying? And he says, okay, I want you to begin with the, the cornerstone of how your prophetic mindset and ministry works. A cornerstone is the very first stone or block that's put when either building a wall or building, and that one has to be perfectly square and just right because everything after that, so if it's off, the whole thing that comes off of it is going to be off. and he say, lay this first cornerstone and you will always be straight So course I think what I'm going to say is really important and I feel I don't know I just feel particularly led like just invite Holy Spirit in again I know I already prayed but I just I don't know I just it's just what I'm feeling let's just take a moment guys like just I think he wants to just he's going to bestow upon us something tonight and even if it's not what I'm saying he wants to give it to you like just just open our hands in a a way of receiving a prophetic act Let's just say, Holy Spirit, this is my mind. I want you to come in and give me your thoughts. Amen. Hallelujah. I just rebuke the devil right now. No thoughts or lies. It's totally open to what the Holy Spirit's going to do. So, I think a lot of people have the wrong idea of how prophesying should be done. Maybe they've been taught wrong. Maybe they just have read the scriptures and don't fully understand how these, the transitions work. Because I think a lot of people are prophesying from the wrong covenant. I don't think they understand what all Jesus did and how that means for what we say now. I believe that for, for too many prophets and people that prophesy, we've misunderstood what he's saying. We've misunderstood the season of time that God has had us in since Jesus died on the cross. Because when you go to the scriptures, and, you, and really most of our format for when you look up prophets is in the Old Testament. And so you go and you read the Old Testament, and like, okay, they called out people's sin, and they called fire upon cities, and they did all this stuff, and judgment, and that's what a prophet is. So that's what I'm going to be. And and it just gets weird from there. Like, (laughs) it just gets crazy. We've got, you've got prophets nowadays that are, oh, Los Angeles is going to fall into the ocean because they've disobeyed God, or all these things. Or or there's judgment upon America, or there's judgment upon this city, or there's judgment upon this person, and this is, you know, you're doing this sin, and so you need to repent because you're such a sinful person. And the problem with that is it doesn't fully line up with God's heart and what he's saying right now. And in the very, in the, and I mean there's judgment, but let me, I'll explain. Is that in the very least, if you look at something, let's say, and I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, California, it legaled, it, it made you know, abortion legal, and because they're killing so many babies, God's going to make you know, it fall off into the ocean. Well, think that through. God's mad because they're killing people, so he's just going to kill more people. Am I the only one that, does, that doesn't make sense? I'm mad because you're killing people, so I'm just going to kill more people, and that'll make you repent. <laughs> It doesn't make sense. You think that doesn't that's not working. Because <coughs> let's break it down. Matthew five, forty-three. Jesus is speaking, he says, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he has make he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust jesus came along and he was trying to reiterate the new season we were about to be brought into because you know who he was talking to in the old testament he's saying you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy and you know what that's what the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant was. It was based on your fervor for God was based on how many people you killed that hated God. God's and and it was it had a purpose, right? I'm not saying it was a bad or anything. It had a purpose. But I mean, look at David and Goliath. It's a Philistine that hates God. Killed him. Woo! He's the ultimate. Look at all these stories. I mean, you know, God sent them in, the genocide, just whole, whole groups of people and stuff like that. And what he was showing is, and, if, and, and that's their whole mindset of that's with how you pleased God. And that was the old covenant. That was what it was supposed to be. And that was the way that you, you gauged what God was doing. But obviously... What god was saying was you can't do it you can't be holy enough you can't be good enough you need a savior and i want you to try to be as holy as you can and separate yourself from these people and do all these things because you need a savior that's what the old that was what it was showing he was pointing to jesus needs to make this right but i have to show you how unable you are to do this and so when jesus comes he goes okay guys I I know that your general perspective is, is hate those people that hate you because that's how you separate. But then Jesus is saying, I want you to love those people that hate you. Jesus later said that it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but I'm saying you love them as I have loved you. Jesus upped the game in love. And, he's, and and here's the deal, the law and the prophets, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. All of what they were going for, all of what they were pointing at is that you need a savior. Jesus is saying, I'm it. And he fulfilled the law and he fulfilled the prophets. What it was pointing towards was completed in Jesus. And so he's saying, now, in the new covenant, I want you to love those who hate you and to bless them. Because I think, and maybe when we we take that mindset over, we think if you tell a person that they're full of sin, that'll make them repent. They already know that. They're trying to figure out how they can get out of it. Romans 2.4 says that the goodness of God leads men unto repentance. If all we do is say, you're terrible people, God hates you, you need to repent, they're like, I already know that. My conscience says that. But Romans, Paul is saying, guys, in these days, people are going to fear God because he's so good. And the goodness of God is going to lead people to repentance. That's the new covenant. So in the new covenant, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has not given us the ministry of condemnation, but to actually say, God has reconciled you. It's time to come back in. You were created for greatness. He's so good. He wants to show you His goodness. And they see His goodness and they fall on their face and they go, yes, God really does. That's the ministry that He's given us. And I... And I already quoted this, but I'll read it again as we think about this. 1 Corinthians 14... But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart and the treasures in him are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. He's saying, this is a... This is a better covenant than to the old one in Hebrews. And he's saying, this is the way I want you to come at this. I'm going to pour out my spirit on these people. So, think about this. Listen very closely, Acts two seventeen. This is after the Holy Spirit is poured out. And he says, and it shall come to pass in the last days says God that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see dreams your your, your old men shall uh your young men shall see visions your old men shall dream dreams and on my main servants and my manservants I will pour out my spirit in those days and it and then a little farther down it's talking about these signs and that and it shall be before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to make the, di- the definition and the difference here. He says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, plural. We need to make a definition of the last days, plural, and the last day, singular. Because in Malachi 4, 5. This is a different day. And he says here, behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then in Acts, he says, this shall happen before the great and awesome days of the Lord. The difference is this, I believe the last days, plural, happened at Pentecost that it was the moment began that after Pentecost and that God poured out His Spirit. He says, these are the last days and it was when I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh and you shall prophesy and you shall say these things. And this is the glorious day of the Lord. But in Malachi, it's a different day. And that is, it is the dreadful day of the Lord. And this is the difference. The dreadful day of the Lord is coming for every single person. It's spoken about nine different times in the New Testament. And that is every person will stand before God and they will be judged. And either if they had accepted his salvation, then they will be rewarded and they will go into heaven. But if not, if they have chosen hell, then that's where they'll go. But that is the dreadful day of the Lord because there's going to be the separating out. That is the dreadful day. That's what will happen. But the days that we are in correctly right now is the glorious day of the Lord. And that is when we are supposed to be prophesying what Jesus is saying. He wants the whole earth to see his glory. Think about this. He says, I want the whole earth to see my glory. I want it to be filled with my glory. Well, when Moses stood on the mountain and said, God, I want to see your glory pass before me, God said, okay, I'll show you all of my goodness. God's goodness is his glory. And so if we are to fill the earth with his glory, it's that we are to reveal to the world his goodness. And his goodness will be so powerful that people will fear it. His goodness will lead people to repent and say, I have to change my life. I have to change the way I think. I have to change everything because he's so good because he is God. So... I believe that if you read the Old Testament and you see how the prophets acted, that was for their time. That was what that is. But Jesus is saying, you're supposed to be loving those who hate you. You're supposed to be showing them grace. You're supposed to be doing all these things. And why should our lives, the way we live, be any different than the words that we prophesy? How can we we be like, well, I'm going to love my enemies and bless them and do all these things, but I'm going to tell them they're terrible sinners and that he hates them and you're going to die. I mean, there's power in those words that we release. I mean, it's a real thing. We can release it to them, right? There's power. But if our lives are to really live in the new covenant, That God says, "I don't hold their trespasses against them," because there's going to be a judgment day. But right now, they need to know that I love them. So, I believe that that should be our perspective going forward. Because look at um, Jeremiah. Okay, everybody knows it. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Right? For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord: thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and hope jeremiah 29 11 was in the middle of the babylonian captivity for 70 years they're in the middle of their captivity and god goes hey tell you what i got good plans for you buddies but they're in the middle of their captivity they're kind of like um i don't really feel it you know but what god is saying in this he's going dude I know you're in captivity because you done messed up, but I've got good plans for you. And that even in the dark days and even in the bad things, God, God's perspective is always to be hope and prosperity and peace. If our theology does not inspire hope, then it's not of God. If the way we prophesy to people does not inspire hope and a future, then how can it be of God? because he created a beautiful future and a beautiful destiny for every single person. And it's our job to dig up those things inside them. There, so I kind of want us to, let, let's shift. So, okay, with that new perspective and that cornerstone, whoa, okay. What is it that your word and the prophecy that you give can do? What is it? It has a creative nature to it and and that how we are creating with our words so let's go to samuel nine. First samuel nine i'm gonna kind of um i think nine right or maybe it's ten Yeah, it was it was nine. Um, well, we're gonna I'm gonna bounce around, but I might end on 19. I'm gonna give you a brief overview of Samuel uh, in this chapter, because I'm not reading all of it right now. We don't have time. So, Samuel 9 is about Saul. Saul's not king by this time. He's just tending to his uh, his flocks and stuff. And during this time, they lost is it the donkeys they lost their a donkey or donkeys and so they're out trying to go get them and they are searching the whole countryside looking for their donkeys and and they can't find them anywhere and they're just about to give up and uh they don't know what they're doing and they go you know what Let's go to this town. There's a prophet there. Maybe he can help us find our donkeys. Right? Like, that's all they're trying to do. They're just trying to find their donkeys. So, they go to this town, and it's a very cool story. Go read it sometime. That they're trying to find their donkeys, and they go to this person, and they're like, Hey, do you have, you know where the seer prophet is? And like, "Oh yeah, he's over there. And they actually go, and they talk to Samuel, and they say, Hey, do you know where the prophet's house is? And he's like, Hey, it's me. And at that time, God had... Talked to Samuel and said, This dude right here that's coming to you, he's going to be the next king. This is the guy. And so um, in 17 it says, So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? And this is what Samuel says. Samuel answered, I am the seer, go up before me to this place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is in your heart. And he talks about, as your donkeys, you know, they've been found, and all this stuff. And he said, don't be anxious about them, for they've been found in whom is all the desire of Israel. Is it not you and on all your father's house? He's saying, you're the one Israel's looking for. And this is what Saul says. Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest tribe of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, why then do you speak like this to me? Saul was not a man who was like, yes, I am supposed to be king. He's going, dude, I'm from the smallest tribe. I don't really, I'm not, I'm not important. I'm not even a cool dude. I'm like, whatever. He, he was not a king. That was not what he thought he had over him. That's not what he was. He didn't have that kind of self-esteem. He didn't have that kind of thought process about who he was. And as you go about, they go and they stay and they eat and they do all this stuff. And, and to, the next day they go to leave and Samuel says, all right, you send your servant ahead of you, but I want to talk to you. And when he comes, he talks to him. He pours oil over his head and he anoints him king, and he kisses him, and and uh, and he's telling you, he's telling Saul, this is who you're supposed to be. And then, and then Samuel says this, in uh, Samuel ten verse five. And he says, all right, you'll go up and you'll meet these prophets and the, they'll have three loaves and, you know, and, and uh, they'll have a flask of uh, wine and stuff like that. And he says, and after that, you shall come to the hill of God of the Philistine garrison and it will happen when you've come to their city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute and a harp before them and they shall be prophesying. Then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you And you shall prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And so, and you skip down to verse 9, it says, And so it was, when he turned back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass on that day. I propose that this is what the prophetic is supposed to look like. It is saying in in Corinthians when we read that when an unbeliever or an unknowing person comes in, that you reveal the secrets of his heart. It's not talking about the sin in his life. It's talking about the greatness and the destiny that God has for him. And when you speak those things out and he comes in to that prophetic culture, that he is turned into another man and he is even given another heart. And what happened to Saul was not like he, he became totally different or he, and he wasn't even Saul anymore. All he did was he stepped into his created purpose inside of God because of the word spoken to him. That is what the ministry of the prophetic is supposed to look like. It is taking a person who does not see themselves as these things, does not understand, does not live these ways, and you go, God, what are you saying about this person? What is the gold that is inside of this person or this situation And there's all this dirt. Everybody sees the dirt. They know the dirt. But what is the gold that you've put inside them? Because every person is created in the image and likeness of God. And there is a book written in heaven about them. And it is your job to go, God, what have you written down about this person? And what is it that they're supposed to be living? And when you call those things out, all of heaven comes to attention and says, that is from the kingdom realm. And it has just been released on earth by a child of God. It is time that these things become created nature. That is our purpose. That he gives them a new heart and he is turned into another man. I love that wording. And I see that imagery. And I believe that is what we're supposed to do. It's so interesting, kind of a side note. Later on, Saul becomes king... And all these really good things happen. And then David comes about and then things turn kind of bad and Saul doesn't do very good, <laughs> to say the least. And, and Saul tries to, and Saul, it says a spirit comes over Saul and he tries to kill David and all this stuff like that. And I love this story. Oh, is it? Maybe I could find it. I think it's 14... Maybe it's not 14. I think I highlighted it. Maybe it's not. I don't remember where it was. Maybe it's way, f- or maybe it's Saul, uh, a Samuel. Blech, I can't talk. I don't remember. Oh, well. I just read it today, but now I lost the verse. I think I highlighted it, but doesn't matter. You'll find it when you're reading. Anyways, it's when Saul is trying to kill David, and it's actually directly after Saul tries to kill David. Is that uh, David runs away, and he and he goes to Samuel, and Samuel and him go up to Raphia or whatever it is, and um, and they and Saul and David go to the prophets, and they're in amongst the prophets. In this place. I bet D will find it here in a second. And, um, and so Saul sends a group of his men to go and bring David. And they go. And when they get in amongst the prophets, they start prophesying. And then they leave. And so Saul sends another group, and they come in there, and they all start prophesying. And he sends a third group, and they all start prophesying. And so Saul himself goes, all right, I will go. And he goes, and he finds them. And when he comes, he comes there, and he says, where are the prophets? And they're there. And he goes that direction. He starts prophesying. This is Saul with the spirit that came over him, that evil spirit, was trying to kill David. He starts prophesying. And when he gets there, he rips all of his clothes off. He's totally naked, and he lays out on the ground, and he prophesies all day long. And then David and Samuel just leave him there, prophesying naked on the ground, and they're like, well, good deal, buddy. We're leaving, and they leave. And then when Saul gets over it, he gets up, and he was like, this is not good. But, and it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting story. And what What I believe is that that is actually what a prophetic culture is to look like and an atmosphere. Saul encountered an atmosphere that was greater than one that was inside of him. When he came amongst the prophets, he could not but prophesy because the Spirit of God came over him. And I believe that there is an essence of when you find your people, you will also find your freedom. Because God has created us, this is what's so interesting, Desiree and I were talking about this today, that God created us for community and God created us for culture. And when we cultivate the community and culture of the prophetic, that when those who come in don't even want to, but they are overcome, and that is actually how you come into freedom and in life. That's just a side note, that was free, I won't charge you for that. So, that is the essence of what I believe we need. And I think a lot of people get really, really jacked up on not fully understanding of what Jesus has us in, in these days that we are in. And so the question for us is, okay, in a new covenant perspective, how do I release the kingdom? Because in this time, we've been given the job of reconciliation, yes? And so, when we understand that we're all supposed to prophesy and it's a spiritual gift, we have to interpret those gifts through the right ideologies and perspectives that it comes out correctly. And I would even challenge you today is that ask God or in a situation where you're looking for a word or what looking for something how does it sound to you what is the filter that we are filtering the words that God has given us because if if, if we go this is all that I get for people is their sin and this is all I, I just am angry at all this stuff that's going on and this is all that I get well maybe Maybe you've got the wrong idea and the wrong perspective and the wrong belief about what God is doing now. And that's okay. And that's where you just go, you know what? Yeah. And that is where, what Paul speaks about, I didn't actually write this verse down, but here it is, is when Paul is teaching about how to judge a word, Right? You see, the idea is this. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, a word was judged by if it came to pass. And if it didn't come to pass, then you stoned the dude, right? The prophet was judged. But Paul says, judge the word, not the prophet. Because in the Old Covenant, it was like, all right, you're all going to die. And if they don't die, then you're a false prophet and stuff like that. But in this new, he's saying, okay, guys. The way you judge a word is you actually judge the prophecy, not the prophet. And he's not saying don't wait, because you never know, like the old ones took, they could have taken 500 years. But he's saying in the moment that it is given, you can judge if it's of me or not. That means we don't have to judge if it comes to completion, we have to judge of it's where it originated from. You get what I'm saying? Is that the, is the spirit of God upon it and has it got the right aroma because I've, I've heard some words from people and I've heard some stuff and sure they quoted Bibles verses and they said thus saith the Lord on it but all it was was condemnation and it came from a spirit of um, bondage and you went ugh, ew that didn't feel good you know, flushing that one out. And that's where Paul is saying, you can judge the word right then because you can tell where did it come from? Does it line up with the character of God and his goodness? And does it actually have a spiritual aroma to it? And I believe in the same way with us, as we go forward and as we perceive and as we prophesy and as we do these things, we can actually, somebody can, yes, this is what I feel the Lord saying. Well, maybe 70% of that was the Lord, but then there was some of this other stuff that didn't, didn't have the quite aroma on it. And that's where you actually can judge the word and you can say, hey, it's just like what Jesus did. This is our example. Jesus with his disciples, they're going to the city. The city does not respect Jesus. They run him out and his disciples go, all right, God, do you want us to call fire down upon them and blow that city up? And Jesus goes, stop it. You don't know of what spirit you're speaking. He did not say they couldn't blow the city up. He didn't say that was impossible. He just said, okay, you've got your energy, your fervor, your excitement, and you're going in this direction, but that direction of judgment and destruction, I want to, let, let's, let's kind of tweak this a little bit, and let's bring it back to where God is doing, and that is the exact same way that we should judge ourselves and others in their words, and we go, I like what you're doing there, let's maybe kind of, let's, let's hone it in over here a little bit, and because Jesus gave us that example of how he dealt with his disciples, he didn't shut them down and say, you guys, you just need to remember you're terrible, stupid sinners. You should never think about doing that. He said, you guys are amazing. You have all the power to do that. But I want you to understand that there is a spirit coming out of the motives that you're doing that is not right. And we can, we can fall into that trap. Oh, I'm getting, Oh, man, I'm rabbit trailing. I'm sorry. Okay. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to renew our minds. Maybe, you know, if we feast on the wrong things and the wrong perspectives, that's what we become. And, God, and, and Holy Spirit's saying, I want us to renew your mind with goodness. It was like the other night when we were praying and, and this analogy came to me, and I've heard it said, and I believe that this is what the prophetic is, is I said, okay, and this is how the mind of God works, is that often in life we function in these ways and these patterns, and it's like, it's like gravity, right? There's the law of gravity. You can't ever get away from it. You can't, can't, you know, you can't. Gravity doesn't just go away. But there is a way to bring in a law that supersedes gravity. It's the aerodynamics, is that when you get in an airplane, that you can actually put all these people in it and you can get enough speed and the air goes just right and you can supersede gravity. And so when the prophetic comes in, is that's its perspective, is that it's coming from a renewed mind perspective. And it's going, God, I want to think like you think. I want to think with the laws of heaven. I want you to come in. And this is this person's life. And this is this situation. But what is the prophetic law? And what is the thing that you actually want to release into this place? What are you doing? Oh, that's weird. But it is where we actually release something for us to go into another field. That is what the perspective does. It takes us out of the laws and the playbook that we have to live by and brings us into what heaven is doing. And that is why it is propelled by goodness. So.